everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Us What's in the Box. What's in the box? Uh, <laughs> excuse me, I'm coughing. I'm dying already. No, I'm just funny. It's, it's just more funny. like what's behind the mirror. Ooh. <laughs> I'm Joanna. That's Danny. Thank you for turning Hi. in to another spooky episode. And it is spooky. It's season. our season. It is, it is our season. season. It is our time. Yes. <laughs> it is spooky season. So that means, you know, we're going to be talking about spooky things. Like we, usually- I mean, we do that every time. Yeah. But, you but, know, it's special. It's yes. Special. It is special because we have some fun things planned for this month, which we will get into later because. We need to talk about the man of the hour, mm-hmm. Candyman. 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 <laughs> we can't. We can't go any further. Candyman's like, "Fuck you, bitches." Yeah. <laughs> like, did you not watch those white bitches in the new film? Say that into the bathroom mirror. You know what happened. Why? You look okay. dumb, white bitches. I'm about as white as you yes. can get. And it is like, okay. Yeah. Like, who just randomly decides you're going to do? Okay, okay. Let me, I don't we're know. Gonna a little bit of ourselves. There's so much to unpack with that. <laughs> yes. But uh, we're essentially, it's kind of um, a dual movie episode today because you can't really talk about the new Candyman without talking about the original. I'm starring Tony Todd as as Candyman, the new film um, directed by Nia DaCosta, also co-written with uh, Jordan Peele. And I am forgetting the other person. I am so terrible. There was one one other writer. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, we're going to be talking about both the uh, 1992 yes. and the 2011 because they like like Joanna said it's it they they have to do with each other. Yes, um, and Danny, they, they reference each other and. <laughs> Are you I am that I am DB. I am I'm stalling so I can look up the other writer. (laughs) I forgot to put it in our notes. Yes, but um let's see. If you don't hurry up, I'm I'm almost got it. I'm almost eating candy man. (laughs) Oh shit, that was four. (laughs) Win Rosenfield. Win Rosenfield. Okay. Win Rosenfield, Jordan Peele, Win Rosenfield, and Nia DaCosta. DaCosta did this screenplay. Amazing. And it's directed by Nia DaCosta. And this is, of course, I don't know how many people know this. I think many people should know this, right? That's based off a story by Clyde Barker. Mm-hmm. The Candyman. Yeah. Um, it's based on Candyman by Bernard Rose and The Forbidden by Clyde Barker. Yeah. I remembered that. Um from way back but uh yeah indeed indeed so yeah there we have it the three who wrote it and um so in the 1992 uh mostly in case you guys haven't seen it for a while you should you should you know it's spooky season get all those classics Mm -hmm. raring to go um we all know that um grad student (laughs) studying urban legends goes to cabrini green um, and gets uh, more than she bargained for when she yes. goes into the Candyman. Dear, dear Helen. Helen. Dear Helen. Helen yes. And all of that is brought up again in the 2021 Candyman because it is a sequel to it. I believe yeah. it's there were... There were other films back in the day, but this is supposed to be a direct sequel. Direct, yeah. Direct from the first, yeah. Yeah. Kind of ignoring the other ones and just. Yeah. So. I'm pretty sure, I think. I'm pretty sure. I believe so. I never, like, it had been, this was a real treat for me because it has been at least 10, more than 10 years since I have seen the original film. So going back, getting to watch that, reading about it, and then seeing what, Nia DaCosta did with the 2021 version, it felt very much like a direct sequel. Yeah. It was really good. Sure. Um, 
But now we are in present day Chicago. Um, Mm -hmm. And basically to read off this, um, the summary of it, for decades, the housing projects of Chicago's Brainy Green were terrorized by a ghost about a supernatural hook-handed killer. Yes. Uh, In the present day, an artist begins to explore the macabre history of Candyman, not knowing it would unravel his sanity and unleash a terrifying wave of violence that puts him on a collision course with destiny. Yeah. Sounds like a very good IMDb summary. There are a lot of relationships here. There, I mean, we're all about relationships on this podcast and Candy Man 2021 is full of them. You've got mm. all the relationships, not only between the characters. So you've got those, which is expected, but you also have the relationship like to our past and to history. Um, there's also that relationship to it. Like what's our relationship to our personal history? How does that affect us? Also the history of a place, the yes. relationship to a place you know, how does the relationship to the place that you were born or the place that you were live mm-hmm. affect you, right? And also like that from a historical and so sociological perspective, right? Because we're just not talking about any place. We are talking about um, the projects in Chicago, right? We're talking about a place that was purposely you know, built to house low-income Black families back in the day. And then as they mention in in the 2021 film, like, they kind of, you know, bulls all that over, and then they gentrified the place, right? So there's... Now they're, like, upscale apartments and stuff. Yeah, a lot of very high-level relationships in these two films. Um, I would say more high level in the more recent one than than the original but it's told from a different perspective which is awesome yeah um so i mean i i guess i mean how do we want to start we have let's let's start with time and mentioning the characters mm-hmm. um and then we can start talking about the relationships between the characters the main character our protagonist if you will the one that we follow for lack of a better word, is Anthony. And he's an artist. Um, You know, that's what he does. He's a painter. Um, He's an artist. And he has a fiance who he lives with named Brianna. And their fiance, and she's like, I couldn't determine, she's an art dealer, a curator. Yeah. Basically, what you need to know about her is she's a, a big wig in the art world. Yeah, And she's, you know, like not the biggest, biggest, but she throughout the film is taking steps to get there. And there's um, as the film, of course, goes on and as her fiance, Anthony, gets deeper and deeper into the history of Candyman and the lore and the effect on the community, um, you know, they start to pull apart and he gets deeper and deeper into that. She starts getting deeper and deeper into her career. Um, so yeah, you can, uh-huh. you can talk about yeah. that later. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. And then we have Troy, her Brianna's brother, and then Grady, his boyfriend, or they're married. I couldn't think they're boyfriends. They're, in, they're, a married yeah. they're in a relationship. Yeah. They're in a relationship. Yeah. And then you have William Burke, who saw Candyman once and now runs a laundromat. Mm-hmm. And he becomes a source of information for Anthony. And then you have Clive, who is like the owner of a gallery, um, and Jerrica, his intern. And then you have Finley, who's an art critic, um, who comes into play later. So those are kind of the main ones that get names, become important yeah. um, um, later on. Uh, so, uh, where should we start? Um, uh, this would be a good place to start. I think like starting what, what I loved about this film was just how easy breezy it brought you into the, um, relationships and dynamics with Anthony, Brianna, Troy, and Grady. And yeah. it's within the first 10 minutes of the film that it's established you know, like Anthony doesn't know much about 
Candyman, but it's right. Troy that brings it up. And he right, right, right. Because everything. they moved here. Yeah. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so let's start with that. Let's talk about those four. Yeah. <laughs> at first. And then we'll get into the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. So what you find out is Anthony and Brianna have moved into this apartment that was Cabrini Green, it, it basically housing projects that have now been gentrified and are now, you know, gentrified apartment complex. And they moved there. And like you said, Anthony's an artist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brianna is also in the art world. And they have Troy and Grady over to their new apartment. And they're having a dinner party. And they, you know, they're talking, they're bantering and stuff like that. I got the impression that they all have seemed to have a really good relationship. That's what it seemed like yeah. to me. Like all four of them, like Brianna gets along with her brother. I mean, it's a definitely a sibling relationship and that they snipe at each other but there's love there you know you can tell that you know when and you see it later on then when it comes down to it he's protecting he protects her and stuff like that and stands by his sister and stuff like that so you see that they have a really good relationship and they start talking and Troy says oh you never heard about candy man you want to hear a scary story I want to hear a scary (laughs) story and then he does the whole bay, he does a very dramatic, turns off the lights and stuff like lights that. And tells candles. him this, yeah. lights the candle <laughs> and they're all like, blah, 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 blah. You know, and tells the story of um, this guy who would give candy to the kids and stuff like that. And they found um, some kids who had gotten cut up and everything and they blamed this guy. Mm-hmm. And everything and how uh this William Burt kid, this Billy kid, um, you know, saw him and then was there like when the police came and got him. And then of course it turned out he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um or whatever, and you know, died, was killed, and, and they beat him real bad. The cops beat him real bad when they found him. Um, but then, of course, once he got caught, Troy says, you know, then, of course, they found someone else sliced up later on. He hadn't done it. Yeah. And everything. But, of course, nothing happens about that and whatnot. And so, you know, the, everybody's kind of like, oh, what a story and stuff like that. But then Anthony. So this is where it kind of starts to get into it, starts thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Like he can't kind of stop thinking about the story and he wants to go research it. So he tracks down people in the neighborhood who would know about it, who live there and finds Billy Burke, who tells him the story, real story about Sandy Candyman. Yeah. Like, Candyman is not just one, but like there have been multiple yeah. Candymen. And, and basically it's, from what I gather from the stories he told, it's, 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 people who get accused of things you know it's it's like a you know it's it they get accused of things because they're black mm-hmm. they get you know beaten up killed it's essentially blind. like like a witch hunt right yeah. it's it's claiming it's it's othering it's like they're not like us so that we automatically like don't trust them so if anything bad happens it's obviously their their faults right. and um the origin story of all all of this goes back to like the 1800s which was the original story that was in the original Candyman, which we do get to see tony todd again just yes. in case anybody was wondering uh, he does appear as Candyman mm-hmm. again. And it was so, glorious. <laughs> it was glorious. <laughs> it was glorious. It was glorious. He was there and mm-hmm. he was Tony Todd and it was excellent. Yes. And uh, yeah, so he starts getting um, you know, into it. And um, that's when you can kind of start getting into because Anthony had been having some artistic problems. He was having some block equivalent of writer's block i mean yeah yeah he he didn't have any inspiration didn't know what he wanted to paint he takes a painting to his dealer or his agent or whatever and you know he's like i don't want this from you know i don't want the anthony from five years ago i want i want future anthony you know he's like this is the same stuff you've done but the Candyman story inspires him. So he starts going around and taking pictures of the area um, and starts 
listening to the stories and stuff like that and gets super inspired and starts painting all of these new paintings and stuff. So basically going down the rabbit hole that Helen kind of did in the first film when she was researching urban legends. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, um, and, you know, at this point, you know, at first it, it, you know, you get little hints and stuff that something's going on, you know, you see the bees, <laughs> you know, and he catch glimpses of stuff. Um, and I'm sure everybody knows this fact by now, but Tony Todd had it in his contract. If he got stung by a bee, he got a thousand dollars. Yep. <laughs> and he ended up getting like $26,000. Because he got stung by a lot. Well, yeah, like the dude like came out of his mouth and everything too in in the first film, right? Like that was that was Tony Todd doing that. So for him, I mean that that was smart. I would have no, yeah, (laughs) yeah, made himself some twenty six thousand dollars from that. Yep, awesome. Um, cool. So, uh, yeah. So you know, at first, Brianna is a little like. I think it kind of starts out that, that, you know, Anthony starts doing all these paintings and Brianna is kind of a little, you know, she's happy he's doing stuff, but she's a little put off mm-hmm. by it. Yeah. I think she kind of gets the, you know, like, it's like, I, and then, yeah. 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 Like, it's she, like, she, brings all like exactly that all the way around to the end when she discovers like the final paintings that Anthony was doing and they are just incredibly dark maybe slightly like demonic looking they're kind they're kind of gory um it immediately reminded me of like the last stage paintings in the video game layers of fear of fear yeah <laughs> just you know it's a portrait of a person and then by the end it doesn't look look like a person so brianna like you are absolutely right danny she was sensing that something wasn't quite right from the very beginning and at and at the end she's like we are past like tortured artist like like writer's block or artist block or whatever, like this is something else. What is going on? You know, right. and there were because he starts, I mean, because they start to pull away at that point mm-hmm. because he starts like he had commitments like to go to his mom's and like go to this dinner. And it became like this big thing because he was painting and getting into the candyman stuff. And he had like a show with his paintings and stuff like that. Um, you know yeah although so i loved anthony's like actual exhibit in the beginning of the film because like the mirror just actually opened up and then you looked into um uh, what became a secret room of extremely well done lighting and all of you know these very visceral paintings and everything else i definitely like paused my tv just so i can actually get get a look at everything so i'm like no 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 wait, wait, wait. i want i want to see this right and just just the the presentation of it was great but then anytime yeah. one of those characters like the art critic or uh, clive the gallery owner just shat all over it i was like motherfucker candy man better kill you next <laughs> <laughs> Which which they did. Uh, he he did. Clive and uh, his his intern there uh, definitely got it in the end. But um, I mean, so how did you feel about? I mean, uh, I mean, we'll probably come back to Anthony and Brandon when we start talking about the end. But I mean, how did you? I I personally felt like they did have a strong relationship. Yeah. I mean, it got hard and stuff, and but I think. I think they were both committed and they did what they could do, mm-hmm. you know, with the circumstances going on. Yeah. So I felt like they both tried. They didn't like give up and they didn't like, you know, not listen to each other. You know, no. it was just a little, a lot of a real hard to take, you know? So I did yeah. feel like they had a good 
close relationship. You know, like I did feel like that they, that they had a solid one, um, especially when you get around to the end and what happens. At the yeah, end. it felt very genuine. But I mean, like they're placed into an impossible position and neither one of them understands what's going on. The only thing that Anthony understands is, is like he has this drive to research further and go deeper and deeper into the urban legend that is Candyman. And he gets there. And what do we find out? He's tied into all of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, because that gets into, um, you know, the other point I was talking about where, you know, being tied into history and mm-hmm. being tied into the past and stuff. So you find out that Anthony was actually, if you watch the first movie, and there was a scene in the movie where there was a mother and a baby and Helen gets caught there trying to chase after Candyman, um, you know, and the lady, you know, by, by this point, everyone thinks Helen is a killer mm-hmm. and, you know, they're coming after her and stuff like that. So the woman sees her over her baby and starts flipping out rightly and stuff like that. But then at the climax of the movie, she rescues the baby and gets the baby to her mother. Yeah. And um, gets the baby to his mother and and dies and stuff like that at the end of the first the 1992 Candyman. Yeah. And in this instance, you find out that Anthony was that baby. He was a bambino. He was a baby. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was born in Cabrini Green. Um, you know, his mom was like, you know, he had to go talk to his mom because he finds out that he's connected to it when he sees his birth certificate and uh, sees where he was born. And he was like, what? No. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what's going on and everything and, um, and, and whatnot. And so you find out that he has that connection to that place and that he somehow came back to like being called almost like, yeah. Being called back to the place that you were born or have a connection to that he didn't even know about until all this started happening to him, you know? Yeah. Then you have to think like, what was his, you know, then, then it kind of makes sense as to kind of why he maybe, you know, cause if you're going with kind of supernatural stuff, then it kind of makes sense. Like why he was fascinated, like something in him kind of knew or it felt familiar yeah, or whatever. So when he hears the story, it kind of like gets into his head because it somehow feels familiar. Yeah. You know, and I mean, as writers, as, as artists, you know, sometimes something clicks with us in our subconscious. We don't know why it's happening, but there's this like drive to understand it because Mm -hmm. you know it's emotionally resonating with us but we don't know why so we just kind of like keep going and going until we figure it out sometimes you dig up demons yeah oh no oh no (laughs) it sounds like a story it does (laughs) you're not gonna tell it me did that happen to you Oh, it sounded like it might have happened to you. Oh, no, I'm just talking about like in general. But I mean, I've experienced like that, too, like stuff um, like I like to free write a lot. um, But in poetic form, so just like Mm -hmm. poetry in free verse. And sometimes if I'm like emotionally having a really hard go of it, um, I don't know how to you know, put that into a narrative structure, you know, with the dialogue and everything that you normally would for fiction writing. I have to do it in imagery and metaphors. So I just sit down and I just, you know, let just whatever comes into my mind, whatever emotion, whatever image or sense, I just kind of like throw it there on the paper and I just keep going with it until I figure it out. (laughs) Right. So, but in this case, it is not, um, he's, Anthony is figuring it out, but to the detriment of everyone else around him, right? But Anthony is not a villain. He's not somebody that you want to root against the, the entire time. He is essentially a victim still, you know? Hmm. Um, I was reading... 
uh, one of Charles Polyamore's um, like reviews and write-ups on Candyman in the 1992 film. And then this uh, recent one, Um, he's a writer at io9 slash gizmodo um and he brings up like a lot of really good points um you know about anti-black racism um you know the fact that the location of the first film was of importance this this time around because it is being it's not being told through a white point of view it is being told through a black point point of view um so we get the more important perspective of it um and he made some links between um essentially uh, part of what came out of the whole black lives matter movement was you know say say his name say say her name and then you know going on and on and on with all the um names of people who were victims of police violence brutality. So the fact that we're talking about um, like the projects that are, right. uh, that, you know, white developers came, came in and were like, we're going to get rid of this. This was kind of a mistake. Uh, whoops. You know, and this is something that they directly address in the film too. Um, and then developers come in and they make it all into nice stuff and, uh, everything else. So you're essentially kind of, uh, trying to destroy a community in that place, the history of that place. And that history includes like urban legends and, um, just people too, like, like the truth of what happened. That's essentially, you know, what that 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 whole thing is and anthony the way he is connecting with that and his past it's you know always like say his name you know you have to say it to remember it um and i don't think it's yeah. a coincidence that all the, the black people in the movie are like mm, let's not do that let's not summon demons and everything else but all of the white people are like yeah whatever it's stupid it's not real and then they all end up dying right yeah and that also like when you think about that and then you tie tie it into the very end when anthony is looking at his uh, fiance who's in the back of the cop car and this is now he's basically like full-blown like candy man candy right man. you know the police sirens are going on in the background and then he's like oh it's the swarm mm-hmm. you no know? so it also makes sense like ah the swarm of bees ties into the swarm of police and all the police officers there were white Yeah. You know, and it felt very much like, oh, this is similar to how Jordan Peele kind of did stuff in his film Us. It was centered around a black family and it was kind of like the white family that was taking everything so cavalier and nonchalant because that kind of institutionalized racism, it don't happen to white people because we're white. So like sorry i just yeah. i just want to fucking like ramble but yeah no you, no i mean it's yeah. i mean we always talk about you know hey we're going to talk about what we talk about yeah. you know whatever the thing lets us talk about and you can't really talk about this movie and the previous movie without kind of talking about that mm-hmm. about how it is a black movie now granted you know we're <laughs> white women you know White, white people talking about it. Yeah. So, you know, we've only got what we, what we know and what we've heard and what we read and stuff like that. We don't have the experience, no. but it, it, I, I've read things where they kind of talked about like Nia DaCosta and Jordan Peele and Tony Todd and some of the others talking about, mm-hmm. you know, <sighs> the original Candyman was, you know, and the other Candyman that they talk about in the new movie, you know, the incarnations of Candyman. What what I think they did, this is just my impression mm-hmm. and what I've read and I can see where they've, they've gotten it. Yeah. So 
I mean, I read it, so I, I know what they said and what they feel, but I got that impression as well. Yeah. I, felt, I felt like that that's true. And they got that across in that. Yeah. The original Candyman was like, it was this one guy who had this thing happened to him. He fell in love with a white woman. They beat him. They killed him, mm-hmm. cut off his hand. He became Candyman. That's the first Candyman, 1992. Yeah. That's the story. And people say, you know, if you say his name, you bring him up and, and he's looking for victims and stuff like that. What they did with the 2021, by adding on like the Candyman legend and mm-hmm. the different, how the legend is, is brought forth every once in a while by these people who suffer these injustices. It's pointing out, instead of saying it was this one black man in the 1800s that this happened to, and that's what's going on. They kind of make it a point of saying this happens over and over and over again. Yeah. And they kind of updated that for 20, you know, saying, and and though it's still, I mean, the movie was in 1992, so it obviously still happened. Mm -hmm. You know, but instead of making it that one person, they point out that this is a story that plays out over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And Burke, the guy who was the kid who saw the Candyman that he saw get killed mm-hmm. and beaten and stuff like that for something he didn't do, um, decided that he was going to, I mean, that's what he kind of says at the end, because what, it, you know, uh, Anthony starts to kind of transform. He gets a scab. He starts and he starts seeing the candy man yeah. everywhere and stuff like that. And he's trying to, he talks about this in the church at the climax mm-hmm. at the end that he's trying to create instead of a, a legend of black pain and suffering, he's trying to create a, le- a spirit of vengeance. Mm-hmm. That can I mean, you can't get any clearer than that from the beginning of the film to the end, like every single point. But what is also very nice about it is it's not in your face about it. You know, it's, and I think a lot of that story-wise had to do with them linking Anthony to the past and then calling back to the urban legend that, um, uh, that, oh, I'm blanking out on his name. Hold on. We have notes that, um, Troy is talking about. Cause he told yeah, the, the, the very urban yeah. legend, you know, version of Helen going crazy and everything else. Um, right. Because that's what he heard. That's what he heard, but that's not what happened. That, that, yeah. But that's not what happened. Yeah. And then the laundromat person, Billy Burke said some straight mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, yeah, it does. It ties in. And I think that that was a smart move. It's yeah. saying, yeah, the Candyman in 1992, it was a big thing. Um, I highly recommend if yes. no one else has watched it and you have Shudder. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, watch the original Candyman, the 1992, wherever you can find it. It's great. It still holds up, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it still holds up even for being the 90s. Um, it does. Mm-hmm. But also on Shudder, they did a documentary called Horror Noir, where they talk about Black people and horror. And Candyman is a big part of that history. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a really a good move. Instead of just saying, you know, none of that happened. This is a reboot. This is a completely new. They, they acknowledge that 1992, the importance of all of that went on. Yeah. And then moved on and took it a step further. Yeah. For, for 2021 yeah. and saying it's not just this one person that this happens to this happens over and over and over again going from the point of where this takes place you know it takes place in the housing projects yeah. it takes place where people basically put black people because they don't want to be around them until they decide yeah. they do um i mean there's a whole history it's no surprise okay so it's a very, a very interesting phenomenon mm-hmm. where the original Candyman in the first movie and the artist, you know, the, the Daniel Robitaille played by Tony Todd was an artist as well in the 1890s. And that's how he gets in trouble. He paints this, you know, white, white guy's daughter yeah. and they fall in love and blah, blah, she gets blah, pregnant blah. and oh, yeah. And they point out 
and this has been said by many black people that I, that I follow. Um, I try to make it a point to kind of follow and listen to what people say. I try to anyway, and pointing out that they want our stuff, but not us. Yes. They want our art and they want Mm -hmm. our dances and they want our work and our labor, but they don't love us. They love our work. They don't love us. Yeah. And it's a funny thing that comes around and they make him an artist like the original Candyman. But it also speaks to how gentrification happens. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times people will buy up these places and these areas and they rent them out to people who have that idea of being an artist and stuff like that. And they even talk about it in the movie, I believe. About the gentrification. Of oh, it yeah. They, they talk about it multiple times. Yeah. It's, it's your fault that this happens, you know, because that's how they get artists and stuff to go in there. And that's how it starts and stuff. Um, you know, so, so on many levels, it's not just talking about the, the violence of what happens to Black people. Mm-hmm. It's talking about also the microaggressions and the societal stuff that happens to Black people yeah. in these neighborhoods and how they're believed and how their art is viewed. Like, even look at how people reacted to his art when he puts it up, that that that, dis- that, that yeah. display you were talking about, the art, the art display. Yeah. And how Clive responded to it and the white art critic responded to it. Finley, yeah. They were dicks? You know, you know I think yeah. Finley said it was uh, cliched and she like actually like directly addressed all of that stuff. And yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there going like how like Anthony holy fuck you are being such a bitch to him like oh my god but then she turns around because those kids get killed and it gets likened to Mm -hmm. you know because it's the name of his art piece that was on the wall when those people get killed yeah so now she's interested interested. yeah but yeah she's not doing it for him she's doing it for herself right because now now it's it's money and stuff so you know, now, now people will want to see this one that was tied with these killings and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, people who references his work. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it just, it goes into all of that too. So you can just look at the initial, like, okay, yeah, all these black people were killed and treated badly and they were killed by violence against black people. But then they also go along to show all this other stuff that happens to black people Mm -hmm. in terms of the stuff that they produce, how people view their stuff. If they're not like, if they don't, if they look at a black person's work and they don't understand it because it comes from a lived in black experience, how they critique that. It's going to be different. Yeah. Instead of just saying, Instead of being, because the best critics, I think, or the best way to view art sometimes is being able to have the capacity to sit there and say, I don't think this, this, like, I don't think I can process this piece in a way that does it justice because I don't come from that place that that artist was coming from when they created it. And I think that's a totally fair and honest thing to say too. Yeah. You know? Like this obviously comes from your queer experience, yeah. your black experience, your disabled experience, your whatever. I mean, it was obvious, and yeah. it was obvious, and it, it was even obvious to Finley. But then she had the audacity to sit there and feel like she could critique it, yeah, even though she was not the audience for the message, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we find this with even critics today, like all the time, I feel like, and it could, they're out of touch in any capacity. And I see this a lot on Rotten Tomatoes in particular, where something resonates with an audience, right? And they have like Mm -hmm. close to a hundred percent score, but then the critics 
just bomb the fuck out of it. Right. And it gets like the green, Mm -hmm. the uh, green glob. And it's like, well, clearly it resonated with the audience for a reason why you didn't get that Mm -hmm. doesn't give you the right to, you know, like put like, it's so it's, it's also such a tricky thing because I've written a lot of um, game reviews in the past. Right. And I think one thing that reviews in general need to like move towards is what you just said, like acknowledging that you couldn't connect with it, but then talk about why you couldn't connect with it. And that's okay. You know, because probably that person, that filmmaker who created it, wanted it for a specific audience. They wanted to connect to a specific audience. And if other people connect with it, then that's absolutely fantastic, right? But just because mm-hmm. you didn't connect with it doesn't mean that there's anything there. Um, Mid Midsommar was that way I think for a lot of people Ah. in the horror community and I like you you and I we tapped into it right away uh and if anyone listening you go back and listen to that episode you can see why we're really excited about it but it's because we had experiences that made it feel so familiar um which added to the horror of it right whereas you know, I would see a lot of um, big name people in the horror community just absolutely like shitting on that film and saying that it was garbage. And, you know, you and I, we would just sit and yeah. sit back and, and be like, yeah. doesn't it doesn't matter. You just need yeah. one, you know, and, and, yeah. and you need to be able to sit there and say, I am sure there are a lot of things I didn't get in this movie that you know, are there. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can just talk about the ones that I did catch or the ones that I see other people talking about. I mean, I'll admit it. I rely a lot on how black people were responding to this movie and the things mm-hmm. they noticed in it in looking at it in, in any kind of lens and seeing it. And yeah. like, I'd say 90, 95% of the black people that I have on Twitter and social media and everything like that, that I was watching and saw mentioned the movie loved it. Yeah. Um, you know, because it spoke to something. So, yeah. you know, I mean, like I said, I can only speak to what I I've seen other people say and what I noticed for myself. So, yeah. And I'm sure there's, there's stuff I missed, you know, um, yeah, I did. I did the same thing too. You know, I pulled up the articles from io9. Um, there was an interview with Nia DaCosta in the new New York Times, because I wanted to make sure the stuff that I was picking up on that we've already talked about. I'm like, am I, you know, this, I don't have that perspective. Personally, I want to make sure that I am accurately understanding how that is being portrayed in the film and thankfully I was like okay phew I I wasn't too far off but then reading you know all of these articles that were you know written by black writers they also talked about a lot of things that I didn't pick pick up on so I'm like okay great you know it's you know and it's and it's okay if you don't understand everything like right away I think you know it's great to get your, it's not great. It's necessary to get a different understanding of something from a different perspective. So, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, a lot of what Candyman 2021 is kind of about. It's not told from a white perspective, like the first film it's told from a black perspective. Right. So it's different. It's updated. It's claiming it. It's looking at the past and keeping it, you know, real mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, I, you know, keeping to the keeping to the original while pushing it forward as well. Yeah, I thought it's fucking brilliant. Um, so good. It was really good. Oh, good. <laughs> it was really good. Um, you know, I, you know, it's like, and even if you can't you know, you're talking about like, you know, being able to understand something fully. I mean, even if you can't, a lot of people can still tell if something's well-made. Yeah. 
you know, even if you, even if you're not quite, you know, you can still say, well, I can tell that that was Mm -hmm. filmed really well. I can tell that it was really well done Mm -hmm. for what it was. And so I think people would be able to tell that about this too. It was extremely well done. Um, the little puppets things that they used to talk about the stories was absolutely fantastic. It was beautiful. And, um, Nia DaCosta talked about that in her interview in the times. And she basically said like, you know, yeah, we didn't want to do flashbacks from the first film or get actors in, you know, to actually film out those scenes because there's already been enough violence against blacks in films Mm. and the shadow puppets got that through without needing to show that kind of violence and you the the emotional effect of it was having having black actors come in and play that out and stuff like that and and stuff like that i can understand that yeah i'm like i didn't know that's why they did that mm -hmm. but that makes a lot of sense yeah that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause then you think about it, you know, every time you have somebody come in and play those scenes, it's, it's, if it's their real life, you know, yeah. you're ripping open wounds, you know, you're ripping open trauma. Yeah. You know, you're, you're forcing them to play these things out. Probably their worst nightmares. Yeah. You know, that's why, that's why you should have black people taking charge of these things like Nia DaCosta, you know, because that's the sort of thing they pick up on that somebody who's not in that group, somebody who's white or any other minority might not get, you know, in the same way, Yeah, you know, because not all minorities are the same, not all marginalized I should say marginalized not minority because there's plenty of them yeah (laughs) but marginalized people um that's why you do it you know that's why you you get people to tell these stories because they pick up on these things Mm -hmm. you know like do you think a white director would have said hey I'm not gonna traumatize a bunch of actors just to film these things probably not (laughs) you know and it turned out beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, if you think about like performance, like shadow pup- puppetry is such an old art form, but then they did it so beautifully in this. And mm-hmm. the way that all the little figures were formed, you could see their fingers and like their eyes and their mouths and, and everything else. But the shadow puppets like that was the little bit like sinister part of it and it still got across like okay yeah this was some horrible shit yes you know like and there's already enough violence in the film we don't need to show more either you know and it's it's taking away from the violence that is important to show on screen Mm -hmm. I think so yeah yeah I mean, because even the one that they did do, mm-hmm. uh, the Sherman Fields death, you know, that we got to see like what William Burke saw. Oh, yeah. Um, they kind of did it a little away from it, too. Yeah. Like you see him run into Sherman and he offers him candy and stuff. And then the boy leaves and you see the cops come in and you kind of see what happens, kind of. But you're not like, no, yeah right there like some others might have shown mm-hmm. you know might have done close-ups or like really drawn out the scene in slow motion or something to see him get beat and stuff yeah but uh you didn't see that no. here and not kind of a little bit of a separate so she was really careful with the violence there. absolutely i mean we've already seen enough of that exact thing in in the news you know <laughs> yeah you know so yeah exactly so there's no need for it you can talk about i mean that's what people talk about when they say you can show the trauma without traumatizing yeah you know you can show the trauma someone went through in art without traumatizing other people by having to view it as well absolutely um whatever whatever that happens to to be yeah you know um yeah so so why? Okay. So this is, 
Danny's got a question. <laughs> I do have a question. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I don't know a topic really, mm-hmm. but I feel like, you know, I kind of want to discuss and suss out because I don't know myself. Here's, here's the topic. Okay. So the mom says to Anthony, when he goes to talk to her, she says, yeah. And then we just promised we wouldn't ever say anything. You know, we made a pact mm. after Helen Lyle died that we wouldn't talk about the Candyman. We wouldn't do anything. Don't say his name. We this, that, yeah. and the other thing. No, nothing. And we kept that promise until, you know, all this starts happening, mm-hmm. right? And then at the end, the Candyman shows up and tells Brianna, tell everyone. Mm-hmm. So how do we feel about, like, what does that mean? Like, what, what, what do you, we think that symbolizes? What do we think that's supposed to say? Like they made this pact to not mm-hmm. talk about it. It gets broken. Things happen. And then the embodiment of this is tell everyone. Mm-hmm. I think the way I saw that is we're talking about fear from two different perspectives, right? I think the mom's perspective is some supernatural shit went down. Um, my kid almost died. You know, maybe let's treat this like a Freddy Krueger type thing. And if we don't talk about it, we keep the monster sleeping, you know, and mm-hmm. then I can keep, keep my son safe, you know? So there's, I felt like his, mother very much believed in just the supernatural because of that experience. Right. So she Mm -hmm. understood like, no, 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 no. This shit happened. It was real. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to bring that, you know, the negative forces back into my life, into this house, into, into this family. Um, we're not going to deal with any of that demon shit because it is not funny. It's not funny to say Candyman five times into, into the mirror. Right. I mean, it's kind of, funny. <laughs> it's only funny if, if, you know, somebody dresses like Candyman to punk you from, <laughs> from behind. <laughs> Induce heart attacks. Oh, dude, I would. One of those like two way mirrors. Oh, have somebody do it and just flip the lights behind it, and somebody's standing there like, can you kill people? Dude, you know what? Like, I went to Hollywood Horror Nights for the first time, right? And I'm like, really? Yeah. You live in California. I know. This is the first time that, sorry, quick segue. Um, I think if they had done like a Candyman maze there and they had done that, figured out something that would have actually been scary. Like, yeah, Michael Myers got me in the So it wasn't scary. I so I mean, wasn't. I they there were jump scares. I I got startled, but I was more happy to look at the set Everything. at the set design cuz I'm like this is fucking cool, man. Like I'm in there, I'm happy. I wasn't scared, right? But we go mm-hmm. Uh, Josh and I, we went into the exorcist maze, right? And there was a black couple behind us. We get, we go, you know, we get to the entrance, we walk in and then based on how they were sending in groups, they should have been behind us, right? We turned around and then they weren't there. They had gotten all the way to the front of the line and then, and then they left, right? And then, so we started thinking like, we, we heard a lot of their conversations and they were like very seriously discussing like the, like the original film and the legend that, that it comes from and then mm-hmm. in like demonic powers and things and things like that. And one of them like, I think was getting like a little nervous, you know, mm-hmm. and it just seemed like. The- so by the time they got to the entrance, yeah. they were like. We out. Yeah. <laughs> We're not doing yeah, it. At this point. We freaked ourselves out before we I get mean, in there. that that was kind of like one of our impressions. One one of the other things was like you couldn't go into the maze if you didn't have a mask. And I think maybe one of them like forgot forgot their mask. So they had to get out out of line. That's another possibility. Um, but they based on their discussion, they were not like really cavalier 
about this at all. Maybe they were psyching them themselves out because, you know, these mazes, yeah. they're a very safe environment, but I don't yeah. have the perspective, you know, of a person of, right. of, of any race other than me, my white Italian self, you know, like, you know, how yeah. I relate to these ghost stories and everything else. But I, I will say the exorcist is kind of, it's always been one, one of the ones where I'm like, ah, I don't know, <laughs> grew up Catholic, demonic possessions. So I'm just, ah, yeah. you know, there's always that little eh, thing for me. So all of those things, we went for my, our anniversary one year. Um, my husband and I's anniversary is on Halloween, um, <laughs> of course. And we went and they stuck me in the front with the friends that we went. I said, y'all, they know the person in the front isn't the one they need to get. Like these are actors. Like they know the person in the front is the quote unquote brave one. And then everyone else is holding on to this person. They're going to wait until I go by and they're going to get you. Oh yeah. I promise. Yep. <laughs> no, you still have to go in the front. Okay. All right, all right. Let's go. Hi-ho, hi-ho. Through the maze we go. As Michael Mars and Leatherface. Hi-ho. 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 Yeah, it was just, it was so funny because they were like, and two of my friends are very jumpable. <laughs> so they were, they're very, you know, and, and stuff like that. So I had the three of them, my husband and the two of them behind me, like and I'm, I'm going through and everything. I'm like, I'm telling you guys, they know that I'm in the front. Like they know I'm not the one that they need to do. Yeah. But, but anyway, so yeah. Funny. No, I think, you know, it's, yeah, to bring to bring that all back back around, you know, there to that phrasing of like not talking about it and then being told at the end to, to talk about it because it's like no 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 it's not just protecting you know a small group of people like this the whole legend of Candyman as they have shown that they showed throughout the whole film it is a systemic historical issue right so tying mm -hmm. that in with you know say his name you know don't forget about it because the guy who you said was candy man back back in the 70s no he was just an innocent dude mm -hmm. you know so don't you have to remember the urban legend in order to mm -hmm. get to the historical truth of it. And isn't that how a lot of ghost stories happen? How a lot of urban legends happened? You know, they're mostly stories that have been passed down like through oral tradition for a long time, right? And it, mm -hmm. it takes somebody to start going back and actually looking for evidence that this actually happened to like mm -hmm. sort of demystify it, right? Right. And it's so important because if you're just not going to talk about it or, you know, let the, let the legend spread, the truth is forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the thought that I eventually, you know, I mean, they didn't talk about it. So everyone for years thought that Helen Lyle was just, you know, this person who did all this bad stuff yeah. and that wasn't true and they didn't talk about it. So that's why. And, you know, at the end, you just tell everyone. And I think what it really comes down to is we cover up and uh, we cover up and we sanitize what happens to Black people. Yeah. We as people. And, and in this case, it was, it was even Black people. Yeah like black people who were afraid to speak up or didn't want to speak up or whatever. Mm -hmm. And at the end, you know, it's Candyman talking to Brianna saying, tell everybody. And so I think what it's really trying to say is we have to talk about this pain. Yeah. We have to talk about this violence. We have to talk about the injustice that happens if justice is going to happen. Yeah. That we can't just forget it and try to move on and, you know, whatever that, for the good of everybody, for the good of people who come later, we have to tell people the truth. Yeah, I think you're right in that. And we have to tell people what happened. We have to tell people that these people were innocent. Yeah. They didn't deserve this. And even at the end, they try to get her to lie. Yeah. 
oh, you know, you, you know, so as far as I'm concerned, you know, we had to shoot him. Right. Yeah. You know, he's talking to her in the police car. Yeah. You know, or you're his accomplice. Like these are the two stories. Like you were his accomplice. You get arrested, et cetera, et cetera. Or he was holding you hostage that he attacked the mm-hmm. cops and they had no choice. That's your choices. That that was scary. I was really scared for like Brianna, especially when like the cops just like came in and she's like, like her fiance is like dead and mutilated in 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 her arms. And she's just screaming like for help. And then they come in, shoot first, ask, ask questions later. And I was like, oh, no, don't kill her. Please. Yes. And that's <laughs> and then the deeper died. point. And that yeah. happens, yeah. you know. They just came in, didn't figure out was the shot, yeah. you know. And, and that's the whole point is they tried to get her to do that. She chose not to do that. Yeah. She got candy man and tell everybody like, no, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Either way, it would have been a lie. Question for you. Do you think she purposefully raised candy man at the end so she could get out of the cop car so she could escape? Cause she, I don't know as if she wanted to escape. I think. I, I don't know as if I, I don't know if she knew that what would happen. Mm-hmm. I think she called Candyman because to her, whatever was going to happen was better than the alternative. Yeah, it was better than going to jail or living with a lie. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't think she was certain mm-hmm. that she would be saved. Yeah. Is before anyone who called Candyman was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know as if she thought that. But then, of course, you know, it's talking about that he wanted to turn Candyman into a spirit of vengeance. Yeah. You know, he was, and like I talked about earlier, he was a spirit of like black pain and suffering mm-hmm. because it was kept quiet. It was people who were innocent and didn't do anything and got killed. Uh, you know, systemic racism and all of that. That's what it was. And then Burke wanted to change that story. Then now it's vengeance. Now it's justice. Yeah. Now it's restoration. Now it's this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. And I think she was kind of playing into that. And that's kind of what Candyman transformed yeah. from that thing of, of pain and suffering is what was Candyman's line in the first one. Oh, I don't remember. Be my victim. Be my, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Be my victim. Saying be my victim. Be victimized. Be victim like I was. Yeah. Be my victim. I was a victim. Be mine victim as well. Yeah. Just victimizing mm-hmm. people, black pain and suffering. And this time it wasn't that. It was tell everyone. Tell everyone what happened here. Tell everyone the yeah. truth. Don't be my victim. Absolutely. Tell everybody what yeah. happened. And I think for to, you know, it, add on to that too. I think, I think you're right. Um, because Brianna's intent for calling Candyman at the end, totally different than everybody else. So no wonder they mm-hmm. fucking got slaughtered, right? They treated it as a joke, but Brianna was not treating it as a joke because she actually yeah. saw, you know, she went through yeah. the pain, the trauma, all of it. Yeah. Well, in the end, I thought it was great. Any final, I think definitely worth a watch. Everybody listening, definitely watch it. Watch it again. If you've already seen it, let us know what you think. Tweet us. Let us know what you thought of it. Yeah. Um, But I think think if you're not watching this and if you don't especially go back and watch 1992 Candyman, Mm -hmm. you are totally missing out. (laughs) Like you are. This is one of those films that sits with you way after the credits roll. And for mm-hmm. me, that is a mark of an excellent film. Like the um, emotions of it just like linger. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. What are we doing next time? And <laughs> what's, what, what special things are we doing for, for spooky season? Okay, so first I'll talk about, well, first of all, thank you for, for getting this far. And uh, next time we're going to be for our second spooky uh, month uh, episode, we're going to be reading Queen of Cicadas 
the 2021 novel by B. Castro. Um, 2018, Belinda Alvarez has returned to Texas for the wedding of her best friend, Veronica. The farm is a site of the urban legend. So we're being urban legend. La reina de las I can't speak Spanish. Um, La reina de las chachachas. The queen of the cicadas. In 1950s South Texas, a farm worker, Milagros from San Luis Potosi, Mexico, is murdered. Her death is ignored by the town, but not the Aztec goddess of death. Oh, this is, um, I have... Mystica Chikudo. Uh, I think it's Kiwakal is how the end. The key how okay. how the end of it is pronounced. Maki yeah. yeah. Okay. The goddess hears the crying cries of Malagros and creates a plan for both to be physically reborn by feeding on vengeance and worship. Brenda and the new owner of the farmhouse, Hector, find themselves immersed in the legend and realize it is part of their fate mm. as well. Hell awesome. yeah. Looking forward to Exciting. this one. <laughs> it's a novel. It's awesome. We haven't done a novel in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be good. As far as spooky season goes, please look in our links, look on our Twitter, look in the link on the episode, and you will find that we have been uh, raising money since the first for a domestic violence charity. So for the month, uh, you can donate and, um, you know, we'll, this will all go to charity 100% and, you know, just to bring awareness to domestic violence and, you know, seems fitting, uh, you know, violence and the two things that we are going to be looking at this month. Um, so indefinitely a situation that we both feel strongly about. Mm-hmm. So please check that out and we'll be mentioning it in our episodes and on Twitter as well. But surprise for this month, every week of October, we have chosen movies for each other that the other has not seen. So I have chosen movies for Joanna and she has chosen movies for me (laughs) and we have not seen them and we will be live tweeting these episodes on Wednesdays all month. The first one is tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that. And Joanna is first up to tweet the movie that I have chosen for, for me. Her. Yeah. Yes. But we're not telling and, you what films they yes. are. We would like you to guess just because we see if you can. It'd be it fun. Out. And since it's our first time watching stuff, you know, having those really law or law, a little live raw reactions will probably be really fun. Um, I'm, yeah. I I don't know when like what time on Wednesdays you're planning to do yours, Danny, but I'm gonna like start live tweeting um around 8 p.m. Pacific tomorrow. Cool. Yeah. And definitely keep track of the Twitter and we will be posting what time that's gonna start and all of that so you can um you know be aware. Come and hang out. Yeah. Come and hang out and and check it out. Um we might even come up with a hashtag or something. Oh, we should. We should come up with a hashtag, we'll with a hashtag. before tomorrow. We'll we'll <laughs> tell you on Twitter what that hashtag is because we don't know yet. Yeah. Um. But speaking of Twitter, where can they find us, Danny? So they can. Okay, they can find us at the box underscore podcast. They can also find us on Slasher at Tell Us What's in the Box. You can listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podbean, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts, including what you're listening on now. And as always, shake the box before you open it. Ooh, candy.